We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5. We're actually finishing up this book today. We're finishing up the book of 1 Peter. Starting next Sunday, we'll be going into the book of Philippians. So I'm really pumped about that, going into the book of Philippians. Uh, But this morning, we're going to finish up with just some sobering reminders as Peter kind of helps us dive into the spiritual realm. You're going to love this study, Jonah, getting into like, it's going to be crazy. So anyways, so let's pray. And let's get into the study this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for this time, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to gather as your church, uh, whether we're gathering here in person or those online. Lord, we're here uh, to hear your word, to worship you, to set aside some time to come and gather before you. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord. We need to hear from you this morning. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, that you would open our minds to what it is that you want to tell us this morning, God. And I pray that you would help me, Jesus, as I deal with this topic that it's kind of heavy. Lord, I pray that you would empower me to speak your word boldly, Lord, and with clarity. And so, Father, we just thank you for this time. And Lord, I just pray for Abby, Lord, and just some of these moms that are just getting ready. You know, some are, 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 are just getting into the beginning stages of their pregnancies. But and, and Abby, I mean, she's just right there. And so we just pray that you would just comfort her, Lord, and give her strength. And pray they're able to make it off island when the time is right, Father. And if there's any stress there, that they would just, that you would give them the peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord. And we just pray for a safe delivery of this little girl. And so we just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the title of this message here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 is, This Lion is Not Your Friend. Right? That's the title of the message this morning. Hopefully as we go through it, you will see what's going on. Because as we are diving down to the end or winding down to the end of this book, Peter is really removing the veil once again and giving us a sneak peek into the spiritual realm. See, the reality is we are in a spiritual battle right now. Uh, A lot of times we want to look at things in the natural, but we know that as followers of Jesus, there's so much more than what meets the eyes. And as we are in this battle, here are some questions I think we need to ask ourselves right now. Who are we fighting against? Or you could even say, what are we fighting against? And I think that's a question that I've been you know, asking myself, especially as I go through First Peter, man, it's done such a, a thing of just of really trying to recalibrate me. Because I'm sure, like many of you, is this uh, of you, this last six months has been such a, a roller coaster of emotions, right? And sometimes in anger and frustrations, and sometimes if we look at other people, and right away we want to look at people as though people sometimes are the enemy. Right? We get upset, we get frustrated, and so forth. And, and at times we're, we're, we think that we're fighting against people or groups or organizations or neighbors. And, um, and sometimes, sadly, and I've seen it a lot, especially on, on social media, right? where even followers of Jesus, right, we're fighting against one another. We're inward fighting. And that's a hard thing to watch. And, and I think part of that is because we forget many of us are suffering And that suffering that's going on right now, it's definitely tangible. You can't really see it, but we see it in the effects that it has on people. Just like the wind, right, moves and you see the effects of the wind. And and all those sufferings are are definitely in differing degrees for sure. I mean, when I look at 1 Peter and all that he's gone through, and I would highly recommend this, right? Because when Peter wrote this letter, it was that. It was a letter, right? It was meant to 
receive the letter just like you would receive a letter from maybe your family members or someone you haven't heard from, to, uh, heard from in a long time, right? You grab that letter and you read the whole thing in its entirety, right? The, the Bible translators back in the day, they added the, the paragraph breaks and they added the numbers and so forth for Bible memorization to be able to find verses. But originally it was this long flowing letter. And as you read that, and I've done that multiple times with this book, you really get to see the big picture and the context. Once again, as you reminded that Peter, yeah, they were suffering and they were in great pain for sure, but they were being persecuted for their faith. And that's a real big distinction as I think about how do I apply what I'm reading to my own personal life here and maybe even to us as the church. These guys were being persecuted for their faith in Christ Jesus. Right in the book of Acts, you see the beginnings of that in chapter 4, right after Peter had just healed the man there in, in Jerusalem, right, the officials of that of Jerusalem came or the the spiritual leaders what would be called the law during that time they came to Peter and they said hey we forbid you to preach in this name we forbid you to stop speaking the name of Jesus right that was very clear and very direct we saw that there was healing they couldn't explain it and rather than embracing the new thing that God was doing they forbid them and then Peter said you know choose for yourself who we should obey. Is it better for us to obey you or is it better for us to obey God? We will obey God in this matter to keep speaking the name of Jesus. And as I think about how we apply that and I think about the church and what we're going through now, I think something is very clear. We as a church right now, we are not being persecuted right now. We're not, right? No one has asked us to stop preaching the name of Jesus. No one has asked us to stop praying in the name of Jesus. That hasn't happened yet. It may come, but it hasn't happened yet. But just like what Peter was going through and just like what we're going through right now, they they are hurting. They were hurting, right? Yes, you know, in some forms as you look at what they were going through, rights and privileges were being infringed upon. Even here locally, we're feeling that as well. People are sick, we're scared, we're frustrated, we're uh, in many cases depressed. Uh, People are being challenged what they believe about Jesus right now. They're being challenged in what they believe about the church, about our country. We're being challenged and in some ways it's a good thing. It is a good thing. And we'll see that Peter is able to take, Peter is able to to give us an eternal perspective that actually tells us that some of these things are needed. It might might feel not wanted. It might feel uncomfortable, but they're needed. Recently, my mom, so funny, she texted me and she went off on me. She's like, make sure you're, she calls me Luis. That's my name back home. So at least make sure you're not doing what your church, uh, uh, another church of ours, the church we came from, they had COVID-19 all over the place, right? Um, and, and it's unfortunate, but she was like this long text. Uh, and then I got another text from her this morning, which reminded me that she got, that she sent me a text. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's like, I hope you're not mad. I just want you to be careful. And, and I'm like, oh, okay, mom. And I'm like, dang, I got to be better at responding to my mom. Kids, respond to your mom's text right away. Because if not, they're going to think you're mad or you don't care. So respond, right? So I'm sorry, mom, if she's watching, sorry. Um, but, but I just saw, I just saw that and I just like, I know that some of that is fear. It's real, right? It's a real fear right now. And it might not be, we might not be going through what Peter went through specifically yet, 
But I think the questions still have to arrive. We still have to ask these questions. Who and what are we fighting against? Right? Let's peel back, as I said a couple weeks in another study, let's peel back the veil on suffering me. Some suffer me. Suffering. Oh, man, here it goes. I messed up a lot of words in first service, so it might happen again, especially with the W's. Okay? The enemy is not our neighbor. Okay? The enemy... the. The opposition is not our neighbor. It's not the organization that we don't agree with. It's not the movement that we may not like. It's not the person who wears masks, and it's not the person who doesn't wear masks. They are not the enemy. Look, big picture, one day sin will be judged. There's no doubt about it. Sin will be judged, and and all these things are going to be laid open and bare. We're going to see that in the book of Philippians, that one day every knee will bow, and every, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That day will come. But this side of eternity, look at the compassion of Jesus. And, and the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, there's verse 34, as Jesus was hanging on the cross between two thieves, right? At the pinnacle of his suffering that day, at the pinnacle of his suffering, he looks at humanity, right? Because this wasn't just a Jerusalem thing, right? Jesus was suffering in that moment for what was to come, what was about to happen in what he was doing on the cross. And in that moment, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Forgive them. Can you imagine that? In the middle of his suffering and anguish and pain, he looks at humanity and says, Father, forgive them. The last thing that me and my humanity that I'm thinking about is, like, Lord, forgive them. No, I'm suffering right now. I'm hurting. And many of us are like that, right? When we're hurting, it gets insular. But that's why there's hope here and there's a call to look up. See, in the process of this, we find out even from Paul the Apostle in chapter 6, verse 12 of the book of Ephesians, he actually tells us who the real enemy is. Who the real enemy is. He says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What are you saying right there? Is that our battle is not this way. It's not the person that's in front of us. And in sometimes, sometimes it's not even the people of our own household. Unfortunately, I think just in a, in a side note, sometimes even within our own households, we might look at our spouses as the enemy or even our children sometimes. Because of circumstance, because of situation. And Paul reminds us our battle is not against them. Right? Actually, you look at it, and here's where we're really going to pick up in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Look at the first line there. Peter elaborates even further, and he says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Man, you could not. Um, earlier I said Wyan, <laughs> and it was, it was crazy. But anyways, praise the Lord, man. Okay, Peter makes it very clear, your adversary is the enemy. It's the devil. It's not flesh and blood. And when I see that, there's two things. One, it's scary, but there's also good news. Because what that does too, is that then it helps me to have compassion for my fellow man. When I realize, yeah, we might have disagreement. 
Yeah, we might not see eye to eye. And in some cases, we are very, very opposite in what we might believe spiritually or politically or socially or only these things. But for us as followers of Jesus, here, Peter and Paul and Jesus makes it clear that humanity is not the enemy. They are the object of God's affection. Regardless, because I think Paul says it for us too, right? Such were some of you. We were all like that. We've all gone astray. We've all had our moments of failure. And so this morning, as we look at this, we we first realize that this lion is not our friend. And there's three things this morning that, that Peter is going to really just push home for us. Or these final reminders for us in 1 Peter. And the first thing is to watch out, right? And we'll see that in a second in verse 8. The second thing we'll find out is to resist and to press on. There's an encouragement to resist the real enemy and to press on in Jesus. And that will come in verse 9. And then the last point is suffering bears fruit. And there's, there, we might not understand the why of suffering. We might not understand the individual, right, of uh, 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 why of suffering, I have many of friends who have asked those questions of why, and I realize in all those things, and I hope I'm as prepared when I might go through something like that, is that to try to, to figure out the why of suffering, we're just, we're not going to know. I mean, we can just throw a blanket over and say, look, we live in a fallen world, and so suffering is going to happen. But why you specifically, that question will not be answered this side of eternity. But the promise is that in suffering, man, God can use that to bear fruit in our lives. And that'll be the third thing we look at. So the first thing, let's go back to that first point, watch out. Well, here's what Peter says, right? This is his closing moments of the letter, right? These are the last thing that Peter's wanting to leave with us. And he says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, as I said earlier, Peter tells us the answer. And I think for many of us, it's a wake-up call. It's easy to forget in the moments, right? The moments of tension, the moments of anger, the moments of frustration that we're actually in a spiritual battle. It's the real deal. Sometimes, you know, I'm growing up with, obviously, raising my kids. You know, I think it's just natural for boys to go out in the forest and just play war, so to speak, right? And they're out there just shooting things down, and they're jumping and diving and whatnot. And it's kind of funny because... And it is fun, right, in one sense, because it's not real, right? The most that's going to happen is they trip over their own feet as they're playing war, right? But I'm quickly reminded of my dad's stories. And at the same time as I watch them, it's also sobering because I've sat at my dad's feet and I've heard some of the stories. And I think he's probably, in my own dad's understanding, has made them PG for me, so to speak, right? As he's revealed to me some of the things that he went through in Vietnam. And so I know that that war is real. They're kids, and they're doing what kids do, but there is a real battle out there. Spiritually speaking, there is no trial run. There is no plain war. The Bible says we're in it. We're in it right now, and the veil has been removed. And Peter says here that our enemy is our adversary, the devil. Now, as we think about this for a second here, we realize some things about the enemy. One, he is called the tempter. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he's called the tempter, right? You can also translate that as the slanderer, 
His job is to slander. He is the God of this age right now. Now, for some of us, this could be a little bit of a scary deal. It's, you know, as I look at things like this, I don't take them lightly. I know that when we start talking about things, it can get a little bit weird. But it's the reality of, of the nature that we're in. It's the reality of that. And, and as I think about that battle that we're in, the Bible said that his job is, as the God of this world, is to tempt his posture as you read this. He's a roaring lion looking whom he may devour. He's checking things out right now. Right? And he has some leeway here. I mean, when you look at the book of Job, the book of Job kind of shares us a little bit with the spiritual realm and that he's actually able to go into the throne room of God. He's actually able to talk to God in that moment, which, which is a scary deal, no joke. He was asking in that particular story, he was asking uh, for permission to afflict Job. Right? He has some sort of, of authority, this tempter, the slanderer, and he walks about like a roaring lion. Now, as you think about this thing, what, what it reveals to us is that Satan has a purpose, and he's checking us out. I, I don't know many of you, are you guys cat lovers? You guys like cats? I didn't know I was a cat lover. I, I, I thought I was a dog guy, but it wasn't, but we've become cat lovers. We love hanging out with cats and stuff. And it's been good. I mean, a couple of times I've slept on the couch and woken up with the cat, like, which that's just not me, but it's happening now. She's melting my heart. You know, and he's melting my heart. But here's the cool thing. If you sit there and you watch them in their environment, they're intense, man. A couple of times, one of our, we have a male cat. His name is Goose. He has brought things over to our yard already. The first thing he brought was his snake, this long snake. He jumped on the fence and I see something dang like, what does he have? And I go down there. And he had a snake. And he was just playing with it, doing this. <laughs> snake would go away, he'd bring it back in, and just like... And then the night before last, kid you not, he came in to, to the, the back door at night, because he wants to come in to sleep, and he had something in his mouth, and he had a little bird in his mouth. And then he laid it like at the door, the doorway, and then jumped up one of the chairs and just sat there and was like looking at me and then looking at the bird, looking at me and then looking at the bird. It was like he brought us a present. Or something. I was like, ew. The bird, unfortunately, died. You know? But you think about these guys and they're hunters. Like, it's in them to hunt. And, and as you watch them, you see how I'm like, how do they do that? I'm like, okay. That's probably what got me interested in this. On Instagram lately, the, these feeds kept popping up of lions, like, killing animals. Have you seen this? With, there, there's, like, there's videos, safari videos, where the lion is creeping up and it's, like, taking down, like, like giraffes and taking down, uh, um, what are those black and white ones? Um, zebras and gazelles and stuff. And they are rowdy. I mean, they would just go in, grab that thing by the neck, bring it down, and it's over. And I'm like, I'm grossed out, and I feel bad. I want to go into my screen and like save the little giraffe but, or the little zebra. But I know that that's just part of the, the nature of life, right? And I think about that. Now, Anna, I was talking to my wife, Anna, and she says, man, she goes, I've read up on this stuff. And these lions will chase their prey, stalk their prey for days, for days. And they're waiting for that one moment where they can pounce. And once they pounce, it's over. And you've seen those guys, man, where they're paused. And it is crazy that Peter is comparing a lion in this way. I know Jesus at times is compared as a lion, but for a different purpose right now he's comparing it to show you 
the, 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 the veracity, right? The intensity of lions here. And the Bible says that the lion, this, this devil is like a lion, that he is checking us out. And I think Peter understands this from first hand. Peter knows this from first hand. You remember right before uh, the crucifixion, right before the garden, Peter, in his just sense of like, hey, let's go do this thing, basically my paraphrase, right, modern day, he's like, I'm ready to die with you, Jesus. Let's go do this thing. Like he knew that something was going to happen, and all of a sudden he got bold, but then he basically humbled Peter a little bit in that moment. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. And it was basically Jesus saying, chill out. Right? There is an enemy of of our souls, and he wants to sift you. And I don't say this to scare you, but I think I say this to sober us and to remind us. If anything, I guess in some case, I hope you do get a little bit scared. Because what it'll hopefully do is start taking your attention off of the people that we find ourselves fighting with all the time and realize that our attention is not them. There's an enemy who the Bible says wants to sift us. Think about that. He's not running after you, the lion here. He's walking, he's stalking, and then it's though, it's like you, 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 that, that word picture that he's grabbing wheat and he's sifting through it, looking for the chaff in the wheat, basically looking for the weaknesses that we have. And he's looking through that, looking for the weakness. He's not messing around and he's seeking whom he may devour. So at first I'm just like, man... Okay, he wants to kill us. He wants to take us down. Well, not necessarily. The word devour there means that he's relentless. It means that he's hungry. But, but the wording is better, better translated that as he, devour, as he devours you, what he's wanting to do is to ensnare you. To get you caught up in worldly distractions is the idea. Right? His desire is to destroy you while he distracts you. See, the reality is the cross has proven that the lion has been defamed. So his weapon of choice is to distract us as believers. And so because your adversary is the devil, it's not not flesh and blood that we war against. Guys, it's not the people. Do you see the deception? His job is to distract you so that the people that we face every day become the enemy, but they're not. They're not. Our fight is not with flesh and blood. It's a battle in the spiritual realm. So the first step in fighting it, you'll see here in a second, is what Peter said in the beginning. Be sober. Be vigilant. Now is the time to be sober. Now in one aspect, you know, the word there, sober, just simply means don't be drunk. Right? And that makes sense, right? The Bible makes it clear. The Bible is not against drinking. But the Bible, you'll see, you'll find a bunch of verses that deal with drunkenness. And why is that? Well, because drunkenness really messes you up, doesn't it? It distracts you. It takes away. It puts you in a place where you're operating at half the capacity. Right? You're not all there. It's one of the reasons why you write cops. They try to make you walk that straight line to see where you're at. And you're not able to do it. Right, So in a spiritual sense, and I would say for us as a church, man, it's a wake-up call for us as a church to be sober right now. To stop being, uh, allowing the enemy to distract you, because right now there's a lot of distractions right now. There's a lot of noise right now. 
And I think the enemy's job right now is to get us as believers distracted and, and getting things that shouldn't be the main thing and, they, and he wants to make them the main thing, right? Sometimes those things even come in good things, things that we might, well, this is a good cause or this is a good thing, but the reality of what it's doing is it's a trick of the enemy to distract us from the main thing. Look what Charles Spurgeon said about this one verse. Um, in talking about Satan, he says this, he can never be content till he sees the believer utterly devoured. He would rend him in pieces and break his bones and utterly destroy him if he could. Do not therefore indulge the thought that the main purpose of Satan is to make you miserable. He is pleased with that, but that is not his ultimate end. Sometimes he may even make you happy, for he hath dainty poison sweet to the taste which he administers to God's people. If he feels that our destruction can be more readily achieved by sweets than by bitters, he certainly would prefer that which would best affect his end. It sounds rowdier that the devil would just come and kill you and just be done with it. But as we see here, Peter says, no, that's not his main weapon. His main weapon is to distract us. As followers of Jesus, he wants to distract us. Right now, we see, we see people many times, unfortunately, as the opposition, when the reality is God has given us opportunity as a church. He's given us opportunity. He's given us an opportunity to shine like never before. I have friends that would disagree with me for sure. They would think, well, the church is being persecuted because we're not allowed to do this. We're not allowed to do that. And, and in some cases in California, right, they're being told they can't sing in church right now and so forth. But I just, I just don't see it that way right now. I just don't see it. I mean, here's for the, this is kind of a funny thing, maybe bad things, but if you're a sports fan, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend you, right? Um, but in some ways, right, the church right now is of more importance right now than sports right now. And concerts and events and things like that, right? We've been given the authority to be able to keep doing what we're doing where other things have been. Now, if one day we get to a place where all these things start opening up again, just in a practical application for us. If all these are, hey, concerts and sports and all this and go cheer your kids on. And they start saying, but you churches have to stay closed and you can't do this and you can't sing. Then I think we're in a place then I think we're in a place where we can start looking at what Peter said. Hey, is it better for us to obey God or to obey men? But right now, I think what's happening is that many of us, I've seen myself, I'm guilty of it. New things come down and I get frustrated. I get upset. And then I'm quickly reminded like, no, we're not there yet. There's opportunity here. There's opportunity because people are open like never before. And we have an opportunity Right To realize that our battle is not with our neighbor. It's not with our spouse. It's not with our friend down the street. Our battle is the enemy. And so let's put the perspective in its right place and have the heart of Jesus. says, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Just like me. For years, I didn't know what I was doing at all. In some cases, I still don't know what I'm doing. But on a spiritual demonic side, right, I was just doing what came natural to me. I was anti-God and spouting all this and spouting all that because I just didn't know any better. But God had mercy on me. God had mercy on you. God had mercy on us. And so I think all that's being asked of us here in the scriptures is have mercy. Have mercy on a world that's hurting. Right? Because 
there's opportunity. to So be sober. Be ready, right? Have a sound mind and be open to that. And resist and press on. Look at the next thing he says in verse 9. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist him and be steadfast in the faith. Right? The idea is we can't run from Satan. We can't run from our enemies in this case. Right? The enemy, he's going to find us. Right? We live in this world. There's no way around it. Right? Our thought is, well, man, if I move to Texas, then I'll be out of it. Right? Move to Idaho, then we'll be out of it. We're in the world. There's no running from it. Right? But we can resist. We can resist and stand together. Really, that's the wording, is to resist means to stand together and, and, and specifically for us as the church, to stand together as the church, right? And that's a call for me, it's a call for us, right, to wake up, and especially more so, right, as the church, he's given us, as the church, a gift, right? And it's a reminder, it's, it's, it's an encouragement to us that we don't stand alone, we stand together. And even for those who are watching online, I know there's many at on watching online who are at home right now and some of them are probably feeling the heat of that some are probably feeling guilty for not being here some are are probably being fearful and we just want to say to them too right there's no fear there's no anxiety there there you know don't listen to the attacks i mean you're still with the church things are different but we're still together we can still stand together and we can we can see that they're there and we can we can visit it it's good we it's a call really to be creative as we stand together But how do we respond in that? Well, he says to resist, but then to establish ourselves in the faith. To stand strong in the faith. There's there's a a Peter, as Peter is leaving him, like his last sentences, he's saying, now's the time to press into the things of Jesus. To press in the simplicity, to establish ourselves in the truth. Right now, many Christians and people, right, we're battling our current circumstance by looking for truth or we're looking for things that make us feel right right we're, we're, we're wanting to to share our perspective so we're right and sometimes we do that at the pain of someone else and that's not the cause to fight it's not about finding certain talking points from your favorite political you know uh, source or news source the, the response for the followers of Jesus is to press in to the faith. The faith of God. The faith that includes the church, that includes the worship, that includes of getting into the word. Right? We're looking for the wrong truth when the truth is in Jesus that will help us stand. Again, it's not about just, again, don't get me wrong, it's not about just burying our heads in the sand. I mean, obviously, we need to be informed as people, right? We need to be smart. We need to make wise decisions, right? That's why he says to be wise, right? To be wise in these things. And to ask, if we lack wisdom, then ask God for wisdom. But as we establish ourselves in the truth, then as followers of Jesus, we're allowing the truth to determine how we respond. And hopefully, it's in the way of Jesus. Look what Peter says later in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. Look what he says there. He says, Therefore, brethren... Be even more diligent, right? 
to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. In other words, it's good. Peter's saying like, I know you know these things, but we need to keep pressing into these things. I know you understand these truths, but let's stand firm in these truths. Let's keep pressing on the wording there, or the word picture is basically being a weed, without the exception of being annoying, because weeds definitely can be annoying. But what is the cool thing about weeds, right? Not weed, okay, but weeds, okay, weeds. Weeds in the yard, in the garden, right? What is the, the annoying thing about weeds? They're hard to get rid of. You have to, like, get to the root. And in some cases, you pull the root out, but then you find, like, that's just the beginning. And then you start pulling in that root. It just, like, keeps going and going. Before you know it, you're tearing up part of your yard because they're just so intense. Well, in a good way, the call is, what basically Peter is saying is, be so rooted and grounded in the truths of who Jesus that your roots go down and deep and spread out so that when that wind comes, when those things happen, when, when the trials of this world come at you, yeah, you might get chopped every now and then, but you're rooted and you're grounded in these things. Right? You're established. So the idea is to resist and to press on. To press on. Knowing this, that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Everyone's going through that. That's the hard part about this, right? We're all going through it right now. All of us. We're all experiencing some difficulties. We're all experiencing some trials. The church definitely is hurting. But here, here's the unique thing about this. For, for here, what Peter was talking to, he was talking to a church that was specifically going through persecution, right? They were trying to be shut up for their faith in Christ. The unique thing that we're going through is that we're all going through it. Christian and non-Christian. We're all going through it. We're all being squeezed. We're all being tried. But we have hope in Jesus. There might be opposition But if we as a church open our eyes, there's opportunity. There's opportunity to be able to pray. There's opportunity to be able to respond. There's opportunity to be able to love. I mean, think about Peter. One of the, I mean, if I think about Peter and I reminisce of some of the favorite things that Peter said in going through 1 Peter, is that one of the things he said that had stuck out with me is he says that we should obey the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren. And then he says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. He repeats that several times, to love people fervently. Well, man, if I love them, then they're going to think that I stand with them. If I love them, then they're going to think that I agree with everything they agree with. If I love them, then it's like they're going to take advantage of me. Man, there's risk. There's just no way around it. There's risk in loving people. But what, what's the alternative? What, what's, what's the alternative right now? Right? The alternative is the heart of Jesus. Forgive them. Just like you were forgiven. They don't know what they're doing. We don't know what we're doing at times. And so what does he say in First Peter as well? 
Love covers a multitude of sin. And so here's more good news. If you can call it good news, I hope you can. But the last thing, suffering bears fruit. Suffering bears fruit. Right? He says, look what he says next. In, oh, I have to go back to First Peter 5. He says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Once again, in the middle of this, we see that God is in control. But may the God, like, it's like what he's saying, basically everything that's going on, all the suffering that's happening, all the things that we're doing, but God is on the throne. But God is in the middle of that. But God sees the pain. God sees the hurt. We're called to watch. We're called to see. We're, we're, we're called to press into Jesus. But no, the wording there is that God is in it and through it all. And he's able to take the suffering that we're experiencing and use it for his good. Right? Just like this we don't know the why of the suffering. We don't know why individuals suffer, but that's a, that's a heavy question, right? To say why, why am I suffering, right? Why am I going through this? Because then all of a sudden, then you have to ask, well, why is this other person not going through that? And why is this other person then suffering more than I suffered? Why is my suffering less than that person's or worse than that? I mean, it begs all this, it just opens up this can of worms. But instead of trying to answer that question this side of eternity, God says, I, basically God is saying, I will use that. Because I know, I, I see it this way too. I'm like, okay, I love this verse. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, black out that one little segment after you have suffered a while. And let's just get to, and then he will perfect, establish, strength, and settle you. But the reality is that suffering is a part of the deal. Part of God's grace is that in suffering we're going to learn and we're going to see the power of God. And there's a promise that, that God, even though, even though the suffering might happen and even though the persecution might happen, that God is able to bring fruit from that. But the good news is that suffering does have a timetable. It's temporary. For the individual, I, ha I have no idea. Again, for some, I wish. And seeing some of what some of you have been through and some of my friends have been going through, I wish I could say, like, man, hang on, because October 1 or, or August 15th, it'll be over. Just hang on. We don't, we don't have that insight. And we don't know. All we know is that God is able to perfect us through that. Look what he says there. There's four quick little things about suffering and how God can bring fruit from our suffering. One is that it can perfect us, right? He says, God, he says, uh, to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, it will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. The word perfect there means that God can use suffering to restore us, to put things right. Man, I, I wish, you know, <laughs> it was the opposite, but that's just the reality, when you look at church history, when the church has grown and exploded and has been like on these roads of compassion, it has always been through persecution, through pressure, through trial, through trust. I mean, some of us, we want to see the power of God. And so, you know, we're sitting on our couches at home and we're watching Netflix and we're just like, Lord, I just want to see your power. 
The power to help me settle on something finally. It's like, no, that's just not how it works. Unfortunately, and fortunately, it's through trial. It's through suffering and that God in those moments can restore us, can perfect us. The, the word picture is there. It's like taking a net that's starting to fall apart and then he takes that net and then he's mending it and putting it back together so that it can do what it needs to do. It's this restoration. In suffering, God establishes. He makes it firm. He confirms our standing in Christ. I think in many ways what this has done for us as a church and for the church is that it really has begun in some cases to really to bring to the surface what we really believe about who God is. It really has been confirming. right? It's bringing us out from just like head knowledge and just kind of going through the motions to really like, man, how, how am I responding through this? You know, what do I really believe about Jesus? And I think in some cases it's softened. It, it's dividing the, 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 the person who's just content with just religion, so to speak. But really bringing in this thing that strengthens us, that makes us stronger. That's what Peter says. There, it will strengthen you. The idea is that it vigor, it's vigorously activates who you are. It's where we experience God's supernatural power. Where God is able to move and to act. And the other part of this, this is awesome, it's to settle you. The, the, the word picture there is that it grounds you on the rock who is Jesus. You know, the similar picture there comes from Matthew 7.25. In Matthew 7.25, uh, look what it says there. And this is like, you know, the red letters of Jesus. Because this is part of the fruit of suffering. And it says, and the rain, uh, yeah, therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. The, settle, the word settle you is kind of the same meaning that comes from that same text. As it, as it solidifies who we are for His glory. That's the fruit of suffering. As God establishes and sets us in, in, in these things that, that, that keeps us stronger and focused to press in. And in closing, look, the reality is we have to be vigilant as a church. The enemy of our souls is on the prowl. So be strong in the faith. Because our suffering, it's inevitable, but temporary. Because of this, we have one, we have one who went ahead of us, who took Satan head on and defanged him at the cross on our behalf. Man, we're not alone because greater is he that is in you, he that is in us, than he that is in the world, right? This is the lion, the lion of Judah. This lion is your friend. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Jesus. We thank you that you are the rock. Lord, your word tells us, even as we think about the rock that's in scripture over and over, we find out that the rock is a picture of you. And I pray that as your church, that we would press into these things right now and that we would stand on the rock. 